Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex Grodnick, and welcome to Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Keith Wasserman joins us today. Keith is a big-time real estate investor, and he is a young guy. For this pod, I'm sitting in his office, and we'll discuss all things real estate. Before we jump into the conversation, I want to tell you about the real estate modeling course at Wall Street Oasis. If you need to understand the real estate industry's unique drivers and challenges, or how to build a REIT financial model from scratch, then check it out. I'm sure it will help you out. Okay, so I'll give you guys a fast update on what's going on with PayClub. So we're starting to travel. Jason, the CEO, was in San Francisco at the beginning part of last week, meeting with a couple investors, and, uh, and now we're spending time at five schools bringing fraternities onto PayClub. It's a pretty exciting time, a moment that we've been talking about for like what seems like forever now, uh, our go-to-market. I think I've mentioned this before, but this is really what our company was built to do. Before this, Jason was part of the founding team of a company that sold trips to college kids, Cabo Spring Break, Las Vegas Music Festival. His job was to go onto a campus, find the key person in a fraternity, get him signed up, and then hundreds of more people would follow. That's where we saw the problem of groups collecting money. Our strategy now is to, is to use these fraternity connections to launch pay club. And it makes sense. These groups, they're collecting hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes millions, and it's constant. By convincing a treasurer of a frat to collect dues, the hardest part of any new app is mitigated, getting people to download it. That one treasurer tells the 90 guys in his house that they need to download pay club in order to pay the dues because it, it makes his life easier. Next, these new users, who are part of other clubs at school and have roommates and play fantasy football, well, they're going to see that Pay Club makes collecting money for anything simple. So that's what Jason was doing this week. He's using his relationships to onboard 100-person frats at these five target schools. We'll get some of these big houses at the schools onboarded and then measure the organic growth and pray for network effects. That's how Facebook did it, and that's also how Tinder did it. Our app, it took so long to build, it had so many bugs, uh, that getting to market now with a pretty awesome app is a really cool feeling, and seeing groups come on and start using it, that's also super cool. We, had a, we have right now a group at USC that's collecting $26,000 a month for rent. So while we're primarily focused on on these five schools that Jason's targeting as we want to saturate a college campus and realize the network effects of everyone using the app. 
it's been my effort to find some ways to get other users on, which right now is really just a side effort. As hitting high numbers, like that's great. It will definitely help us with investors. But the most important thing is showing that it works and can spread across the university. It will, of course, be great, though, if we can say, you know, we've got 10,000 users in the first couple of months. But sophisticated investors, they'll look past that. They'll look to viral growth, engagement, how people are using the app. Uh, okay, so that's the update. Oh, oh, and, uh, and one more thing. I got a promotion this week or a title change, whatever you want to call it. I'm now the COO. Okay, thanks for listening to all of that. Let's get into the interview. Keith Wasserman. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for talking with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're a real estate guy, you're a startup guy, you've got a sweatshirt that says Bitcoin. I, I definitely do. On it. Um, what aren't you involved in? <laughs> you know what? I call myself a professional opportunist. So we, we've, we've done a lot of interesting things and I sort of, uh, I'm always looking for something interesting and, and, and put good people on it and just let them run wild with it. So that's that's been our motto from day one and we've Accomplish a lot with that with that kind of mantra. I love it. So you graduated from SC. Tell us you graduated and, and what happened. Yeah, so I grew up in LA, um, stayed local for college, went to the University of Southern California here, graduated in 2007, didn't know really what to do. I, I, I had my own separate business all through college. We had one of the top 500 eBay stores. So I was buying merchandise downtown LA, uh, auctions. Um, I was going to China, even buying containers of general merchandise, clothing, electronics, DVDs, et cetera. And we sold around 200,000 items all through college. And then, yeah, I just didn't really, you know, eBay fees kept picking up. PayPal kept, you know, getting their hands on stuff on, you know, and the cost kept going up and it was hard to scale a, you know, eBay business really. I had 13 employees and 5,000 square foot warehouse. And, you know, looking back, it was a great learning experience. It was my first business. I was, you know, 18 years old when I started. And so I graduated in 2007 and, you know, we, I, I thought maybe, you know, real, everyone was sort of talking about real estate and my parents had been involved in real estate and the market was hot at the time, but I, I, I wanted to learn all about it. And I got my broker's license and really just studied real estate. And all of a sudden, the, the you know, the great recession occurred. This was in 2008 and the stock market crashed and real estate prices, you know, fell th- through the, you know, down the tubes. And we saw the opportunity to start buying real estate. We, we bought one little four-unit building in Bakersfield, California in December of 2008, and that's where our journey began. That's awesome. Yeah. So you had really, I mean, you thought maybe I'll be a broker, but you saw this investment and said, this is like, seems like a good deal. I'll buy this. And, uh, and what happened from there? Yeah. So my cousin, who's uh, my business partner, Damien Langieri, came to me. He says, look, my father's been in Bakersfield for the last few years, and he's seen the market shoot up. They, they built a lot of new houses and you know, people were buying them and the prices were going up so much. And then the crash occurred and they stopped building and prices, you know, there was a lot of foreclosures. And he came to me with a single four unit building. He said, look, this building previously sold for $450,000 and we could buy it for $150,000 and we could get a loan from the bank. Uh, you know, our mortgage payment was only $600 and each unit rented for six ninety five. So it was sort of a no brainer. And, you know, I think everyone was like, what the hell are you doing? Bakersfield, California, where is that? It's, you know, it's in the Central Valley. It's, um, you know, based on oil and agriculture. And a lot of people consider it sort of the armpit. You know, the air quality is not the greatest. But LA, between LA and Bakersfield, we're fighting number one and two in the worst air quality. But uh, yeah, it was just a sort of a no-brainer. And we, we, I didn't think I would, this would become into a big business. But we started with one. And we learned by doing. We liked it. We, we, went to, we were driving to Bakersfield every week, renovating the apartments and, and then renting them out. And, you know, just... 
liked it and started we did another one and then another one and we did 14 of these little fourplexes within the first year with maybe three or four individual investors uh friends of family and stuff so that's how we got started yeah keith i love it this is something we always talk about on the podcast is that and you and i were talking about it before we clicked record here is that you don't know what you're doing when you get going but you just kind of like do something and then you you start to learn and you start to see and like before you know it you're owning 14 places in, in a year yeah totally i mean it's uh you know, I, I try to learn as much as I could from reading and getting my broker's license and meeting with other professionals and, you know, trying to get some mentors in the beginning. But at the end of the day, you got to start somewhere. And we started small where, you know, we couldn't make big mistakes. And we built it from one, then two, then three. And then after we did these 14 uh, or 15 fourplexes in 2000, all two, it was December of 08, we bought the first one. All through 09, we bought these fourplexes. And then late in um, the year of 09, we were approached by a broker who was who saw we were the biggest buyer in Bakersfield, these small properties. He said, look, we got a 78-unit building, you know, you could buy for $3.9 million. And, you know, Damien and I are like, Jesus Christ, how are we going to, you know, put together an investment group to buy this? And we, uh, at that time, we realized what our strengths were and what our weaknesses were. And we said, you know what, we, we need to bring in someone that help, could help qualify to get on the loan, that could bring the financial statement to, to, to do this and to help bring some investors. So, um Essentially, I went to my father, and then we brought in one other gentleman. We call him the gray hairs, you know, someone with wisdom and experience and, and a balance sheet. And between us, and then we brought in, a, like, I think eight investors. We raised $1.3 million, and we bought that property. We got a loan for the rest, and we bought it for $3.9 million and put a few hundred thousand dollars in renovations and totally repositioned it. It was an absentee owner that wasn't taking good care of it. The rents were below market. And we sold it a few years later for six and a half million and did a 1031 tax-free exchange into something else and then sold that. And, you know, just that one invest investment created a lot of wealth for our investors and, and for us. And it was uh, a real win-win and, you know, it was a great experience. And uh, and it just kept snowballing, you know, went to the next building, was 125 unit. And then, then we went into new markets. We went into Phoenix. You know, the blood was in the streets in Phoenix. And this is uh, 2010 during the housing bust and around a hundred thousand illegals were had to leave because of the immigration bill. And yeah, a lot of, you know, apartment communities were reeling and you know, that's when we f found the best opportunity to come in and buy things cheap and, you know, just uh, get some great deals and just kept, kept growing the business one at a time. We're, we're, we've acquired now um, around 7,500 apartment units and mobile home park sites. Uh, and I, I could get into that later, the mobile home park stuff. But uh, that's sort of been our, our journey so far. Yeah, That's so cool. And so it sounds like the thesis is you're looking for value, and then you're looking to uh, provide value after you buy these buildings. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, so we're always looking for the story. So <clears throat> we first pick an area where we feel you know, is depressed or we believe in it for the future. So we started in Bakersfield. It was only an hour and a half north of here, easy to access. Pricing was pretty low where we could afford to get, you know, get our feet in the game or whatever. And then we went to Phoenix because we saw the, that market was in the toilet. And we bought around 2,000 units in Phoenix from 2010 to 2013. And after Phoenix, we moved to Denver, which started to really boom. And we bought around 1,500 units in Denver and then we moved to Salt Lake City because as we get later in this current cycle, we felt like Salt Lake would be a nice, slow and steady growth market, um, which it has been. And then we moved into um, Reno. We got a little lucky there. You need a little luck in, in life. So Tesla announced the huge uh, you know, pl plant there that has created a lot of stimulus and people moving there. And we've seen tremendous rent growth in Reno. And we moved to Portland and even Albuquerque, which is sort of a contrarian bet. Um, 
A lot of investors sort of redline it. It's not a high growth market, but it's nice and slow and stable and steady, like a steady eddy kind of investment. And yeah, it's in the best part of Albuquerque. The building was like 100% occupied, meaning the rents were too low. So, you know, we really try to run our properties 95, 96% occupancy. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've, uh, we've, we've accomplished a lot in that period of time since we started. Yeah, That's great. So is the core thesis to buy something and then fix it or just to that happens sometimes, oh, yeah. and sometimes you just buy it and hold it. So I was ta- I, I lost train, train of thought a little. So we look for a story, so some kind of story in the area. So we f- focus on the area, and then what parts of the, that city do we want to buy in? Because you know certain areas are not as good and desirable. We look for sort of urban infill with you know high walk score would be good um, by large employ employment centers. And a, a building that has a lot of um, upside through repositioning, adding amenities, um, renovating better, just taking better care of the property, implementing better management, um, something we could definitely add value. And, you know, we, we sold around 11 of the buildings that we added tremendous amount of value to. And, but our goal for the long term is just to hold, for, you know, real estate's a, not a get rich quick. It's for the, it's, you know, time and inflation are real estate's best friends. And that was according to one of my good mentors and very successful real estate investors. So yeah, we're trying to build a portfolio now and, but definitely buy, buy on the story, something that could, we could add a lot of value, you know, and just take care of and yeah sure so i took a class on real estate in business school and the professor was always saying that real estate is a local game and you have to know a market and you have to know the players in that market so i get that you are in and around los angeles and you could see things in bakersfield but how do you go out so far and how do you how do you you know how do you make it uh, an advantage in those places yeah it's a, it's a great question alex so we lean heavily on the third party property management companies we utilize in all these different markets so Whenever we're entering a new market, we interview three different management groups on the ground, and they, you know, really know their markets well. They have thousands of units in each of these markets. They have economies of scale. They have buying power. Um, you know, we, we pay them a very fair management fee and are, are very hands-on with them. And it's um, we lean on the local vendors, local brokers, and just spend a lot of time there, you know, studying the market, reading up on the market. We, we get a lot of reports on sub-markets in those markets. And... We we make the best educated guess we can on you know we look for what's going to be you know good for the for the future because we're planning to hold these for at least ten years or more so um, just spend a lot of time and energy talking to local business owners um, different economic development corporations reading a lot of market research and um, just spending time in those areas on the ground. Got it. So. I'd love if you'd walk us through like a case study of so you get some apartment building that's twenty units it goes on the market. You get a little memorandum that says, here's how much the rents are, here's how old it is, here's some pictures of it, here's where it is. Then how do you do your analysis? Yeah, good question. So every day, literally, I probably have 50 to 100 different emails coming into my, into my box with different properties from different brokers. And we sift through them. If anything catches our attention based on the areas we're buying in, <clears throat> um, our director of acquisitions reviews it. If he likes it further... Um, we, and we know the areas we'll, we'll, we'll submit an offer. If we get, ex, uh, um, into the best and final round, then we'll go out and really spend time doing du- full due diligence and really, you know, pricing the, the asset, going to all the competitors, making sure, you know, the rents at this building are ho- hopefully low. So we, we could raise them, you know, through improvements. Um, and just that, and then if we get awarded a deal, the process goes, we simultaneously, simultaneously, um, start the purchase and sale agreement negotiations, 
between us and, and, and the seller. And then we um, go push out our offering memorandum to all our investors. We have around 500 high and ultra high net worth investors in our investor base. And simultaneously, we are doing our physical due diligence, um, reviewing lease file audits, and just really making sure we're getting what was advertised in the uh, broker's package. And if there's any large discrepancies, then we would go in for something called a retrade, which we have only done once or twice. It's very rare. We don't like doing that. Uh, only if something is very materially not, um, you know, dis disclosed. And, you know, we we get awarded a lot of deals because of our reputation as closers. We've never had any deals that have fallen out of escrow, you know, never ha had not been able to raise the capital. And, you know, that's what really differentiates us. We've just got awarded a deal that had 48 offers, and that was insane. I mean, most deals maybe 5 to 20 range, and this one had 48 offers, and we, we won it because of our credibility, and, and sometimes we're not even the highest price, to tell you the truth. We're number two or number three, but we um, we go in with a lot of research and homework, and we know we're going to close. We tell them we're going to close at this price, and you know we're very aggressive in our terms, and, and um, we get awarded a lot of deals that... Uh, our hit ratio is pretty good, but it's getting m much more competitive. And when we started, it was like we could, we should have and could have bought a lot of more things. And now it's there's a lot more competition. And in the beginning, it was hard to raise money, and now it's easier to raise money and harder to find deals. So it sort of swapped. Yeah, so. those two are always kind of counter to to each other, right? T totally. Yeah. So I mean, are there still deals to be done right now? It seems like everything is so expensive. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's it's all relative. So a lot of people, my mentors that were buying stuff in the I mean, the older gentlemen in the 60s and 70s, like it, it was hard to, for them to buy later on. And the ones, the ones that are a little younger that were buying in the 90s, it's like now it's hard for them to buy. But there's always deals out there. You just got we, we're just as the cycle gets on, you just got to be more picky. And our, um, you know, we try to mitigate our, our, our risk, you know, buying in any cycle by um, we raise a lot of extra capital for a slush fund when, you know, when and if r rents drop and occupancy drops, we'll be able to meet that mortgage payment for a you know sustainable amount of time without having to go back to the investors and doing a capital call. We also um, we lock in long term fixed rate debt so we don't have much interest rate risk. These loans are at least 10 to 12 years fixed rate um, because there is always risk of rising rates and you have a loan come due at the wrong time, et cetera. And we, we try to not to implement too much leverage. Um, we're just very conservative, especially now as the as the market's getting harder, hotter. But there's still deals to be had. Um, like I said, we were opportunistic. We started buying mobile home parks. That's a niche of real estate that a lot of mom and pops are in. A lot of the original developers still own them. And it's um, becoming more institutionalized. And we feel there's a lot of good opportunity to really roll these parks up, acquire a lot of them, create some scale. And really bring a more institutional mindset and manage them better and, you know, provide affordable housing for people. And, um, yeah, we love that space. There's not many mobile home parks being built in the, in the States every year. I think it was like 10 last year built or something crazy. And, um, as opposed to apartments, there's a lot of new supply coming online and we're very cautious of that. So you're not, you don't have much new, um, supply of mobile home parks. You have a decreasing amount actually, because a lot of them get, uh, scraped and repositioned into higher and better use so like apartment building or condo or shopping center etc so uh that's another reason we like it also another reason is the, the residents own their own homes so there's a lot less repair and maintenance costs and capex over the years you just have to take care of the common areas the rows the pool the you know if there's a fitness center a clubhouse but none of the structures so the resident owns the home and you're leasing them just the lot and it, it, I think having, you know, the whole tiny home movement, people living in smaller spaces also coincides with this. And it just feels like 
a, the right time. We're, we're getting better deals, better cash flow. Um, you know, I, I didn't know much about this business. So what, what did we do? We, we hired a top regional manager for the second largest mobile home park operator called Sun Communities. So we, we, uh, we hired him and he's like a junior partner in this operation. We gave him equity ownership and, you know, he, we really lean on him to, for his experience running these. And we provide our whole back office, our accounting, our asset management, our operations. And he really have him go out and, and build this business for us one, one park at a time, just like we built you know, the apartment business, one apartment building at a time. Yeah. So. That's a really cool asset class where the, the, they actually own it and you don't, and you're just leasing it to them. So they have a pride in ownership. So they keep it, they keep it nice. Not like, you know, someone kicking holes through their uh, apartment. Yeah. Why would you, if they own your own home, why would you destroy it? So definitely, uh, and it's, it's affordable, you know, you could buy a used mobile home, a single wide for 15 to $25,000. Um, we try to buy in communities where the housing prices are substantially higher. So like if someone could buy a home for 30, 40,000, the stick built homes have to be maybe 200,000 and up. So it's a great, you know, affordable alternative that you own your own home. The lot rent is very affordable. Usually between three to $500 is the lot rent that these people pay monthly. And it's great for, you know, it's affordable housing, people on fixed incomes, retirees. Uh, some of these communities that we're looking at have are 55 plus age restricted. They're on golf courses, even, I mean, really amazing properties. And um, just provide a good quality of life where it's a real community. People, you know, know their neighbors and, at the same time, you don't have to have, a, you know, a, in an apartment, you have someone above you sometimes, or you have your own home. And it's really cool. So it's, um, and, and the people stay a long time as an owner of a, these parks, the people stay a long time. If they do move, it's because they sell their home and someone else will come in. So you don't have the same kind of turnover as you do like apartments also. Right. So. Are, so are millennials buying trailer parks are they living in these things or just yeah. kind of all all ages i mean we um we've we've seen you know we're, we're buying in areas that are you know msa area metropolitan metropolitan statistical area at least a hundred thousand so sort of not we're not in like large large cities but we're in we're in you know cities and it's working class people um we have one in our first one was in bakersfield just it's coincidental but we we bought a 95 space in bakersfield and it's just a lot of families um you know, you have millennials moving moving in certain certain ones, like ones in Portland. I've seen um, depends on the area, I'd say, but definitely, um, I think it's a growing trend for both both ends of the spectrum, the millennials and the boomers, to be living in these for sure. Sure. Okay. So we've talked about your bread and butter, this real estate. You obviously know it very very well, uh, but you've seems like you've recently been diversifying into some other tech enabled stuff. Yeah. So, you know, back to being Mr. Opportunistic, Mr. Opportunity. So, you know, we, um, we saw a major pain point for renters and that is when they were moving from one apartment to the next, it's a big cash outlay. So they had a big cash crunch because when you're moving into a, an, uh, an apartment, you're waiting for your old security deposit to come back, which could take weeks, if not a month or more. And then you have a new outlay of cash for your first month's rent, sometimes last month rent security deposit, and then you get loaded up with if you have a pet, there's a pet deposit, there's non-refundable fees. I mean, the minimum is in you know two thousand dollars, and it's in this big cities, LA, New York, Seattle, you're at ten thousand plus. So the statistic is sixty to seventy percent of Americans have less than a thousand dollars in savings. So it's a real tough you know pill to swallow. It's tough for people to to move. So we um, we we started financing renters on the on this moving. So we would essentially lend them the money for for a move. And we did it on our own property to test it out. And we had about a 50% take rate, meaning around half the residents were taking these loans. And they were at, I think, we started at just 20% flat APR. And that's how the genesis of this business started. It's called Demuso. 
and it's a financial technology company. It started with the payment um, financing, point of sale financing, and now it's a payment processing business as well. We're processing all rent payments for apartments. So we were our own first client. We ate our, we always eat our own dog food, and you know, break the system on our properties, and that's how it improves. And we have, uh, we're on around thirty thousand units and growing. We have large customers that have portfolios of. The smallest one is maybe 5,000, and some of the larger property management companies have 100,000-plus apartment units, and they're just rolling us into their portfolio. And the residents love it because it gives them financial flexibility. The apartment owners love it because it's free to, for them to use, and it's just a great tool to help sell their units. And um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, a winning company. So we're, we're doing financing. We're doing payment processing. We're eliminating old school cashier checks and money orders. We're doing guaranteed certified funds to the property. We're doing a lot of cool things that revolve all around the payment of rent. And our long-term vision is to have rent. It's very inflexible. Due on the first, you know, you're delinquent by the third, and the eviction process starts, etc. Um, we, we envision it to have more flexibility where eventually you can choose your, your due date. You know that you want your rent due. You have financial flexibility. You can now, you know, finance it. We're going to be rolling out lines of credit for renters. A lot of cool stuff for the future, and um, trying to really innovate all around the archaic industry of rent. So that was the first sort of next business we started after Gelt. It's called Demuso. You can check it out um, online, and uh, it's it's also around seven. We have seventeen people here at Gelt. That company has around twenty, based in Santa Monica, Silicon Beach here, and uh, we're actively growing. So that was the second cool company that came out of uh, you know the brain trust. That was really Damien, my cousin's. You know, I, he's he's much smarter than me, and more technical. But we all founded it and you know put put our money together to get it off the road. And we started with family, friends and family money. We raised like five hundred thousand dollars in the beginning, and then we kept um, growing. And, and then we brought in some you know sm- smaller VC firms and. And then some strategic partners, some other partner uh, people that own apartment buildings, and I think we've raised around six or seven million now, and we have we're do, we're doing our A round now, and it's uh, really exciting what we're building. So that was a, that was the second venture, and that led us to something called Gelt Venture Capital. So one of the first venture capitalists that invested in Demuso, Jake Chapman, was with a corporate VC firm in Silicon Valley, and we got to form a relationship with Jake, and we realized he was. The real deal, extremely smart, you know, good with people, good at, you know, identifying opportunities that were sort of contrarian. And, you know, he was smart enough to invest in us at Demuso. So we, uh, we really liked Jake. And we said, Jake, you know what, whatever you're making at your firm as an, you know, he was a top employee there, but he was still employed. We, we would match and, and then we would give him ownership in this new venture. So it's, that's sort of a recurring theme. So we started Gelt Venture Capital. We started our first fund. We closed it out at four million bucks. Um, we've invested in around twenty companies, so around average check size two hundred thousand. Uh, for follow-ons, we've done special ve- special purpose vehicles, and we've got twenty great companies with uh, in the seed stage in our portfolio from all different industries. And um, you know, we, we I see a lot of deal flow in the real estate tech. So you know, we we make good partners, and Jake's really the decision maker on that. And we help bring our investor network and provide them. We're doing them a favor by providing our investor base another alternative asset class. You know, real estate. Now you have with us at Gelt, you have with Gelt Venture Capital, you got you know, uh, venture capital, which you know is another great asset class. And that's um, that was the next business we started. So that's great. You know, I yeah. recently had a real estate venture capitalist. That's an odd frame, but this guy Brendan Wallace, and he had this uh, thesis that. Uh, real estate, the largest industry in the country, has been very underserved by technology. 
you walk into a building today, it feels very similar to what it did 20 years ago. And so what you're talking about with Domuso of like being able to have flexible payment options and being able to use credit cards and pay online, it's like, why doesn't that exist? It seems like it's such a no-brainer versus when I lived in an apartment, like putting a, writing a check. The only check I ever wrote was to the apartment, and you have to like go put it in this mailbox. And it's such a dated process. Yeah, most people, it's funny, a lot of, a lot of people I know have a checkbook just for one check per month, and that's for the, the rent. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to kill that. Yeah, Love it. Okay, so this all sounds super cool. Like the merging, I, I would imagine that like in the future, like these two businesses just get closer and closer, like the real estate investing and the venture investing, and it all kind of like comes to one kind of use. Yeah, totally. We're, we're rebranding. We're, we're calling ourselves Gelt Family of Companies. Um, you know, we, 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 we have another sister company. My wife is, uh, runs a company called Sky Adventures, and she's doing also real estate development and uh, projects that are just in L.A. that, that require either ground, either ground-up development or heavier renovations. So the Gelt typical renovation is maybe five to 10000 per unit. Her projects are forty to 60000 per unit, so a lot heavier renovation. Um, she brings buildings down to the sticks a lot of times um, and then sometimes uh, builds ground-up. So... You know, I'm I'm sort of the chairman of all this stuff, and you know, and then we have, um, you know, we talked about happy home communities, the the mobile home park uh, division of us. Um, we're starting to look at buying RV parks as well, um, and we something I'm also really proud of. We just we just founded our very own foundation, the Gelt Foundation. It's a 501c3, and we're providing rental assistance for you know individuals and families that are at risk of being evicted due to a financial hardship. So. Uh, we started this a few months ago. We've already helped uh, over a dozen uh, people stay in their homes. Um, the last, I, the, one of the really interesting case studies was two, uh, two individuals that were, you know, making good money and were uh, working in, in Houston, multiple jobs, and they uh, they got affected with Hurricane Harvey. Their their jobs closed down for over a month, and you know most people are paycheck to paycheck, so they didn't have that income coming in. They but they were always on time and good renters for many years in these buildings. And we uh, we did it was a real win win scenario. When we came in, we helped them with the rent assistance to stay in their apartment. The landlord got to keep a really good tenant, and after a month, their jobs reopened. They were back on their feet, getting you know working again, and it was really a bridge to keep them in their home and to prevent homelessness, essentially. It's a homelessness pre- prevention, which we don't spend enough time and energy on. LA's got a huge issue. We've got over 57,000 homeless people now. So we are, you know, long-term goal is to work maybe with, with cities and governments to, to, to help d- deploy funds. And the way we're deploying them are through the management companies and, and ownership groups that have direct access to their, their tenants. And, they, they, you know, we're helping, you know, historically responsible uh, residents that have fallen on a hard hardship due to an unforeseen financial, you know, problem. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that that's the coolest being able to give back like that. I mean, that that has to be one of the most impactful parts of your job. So Keith, you built this like whole empire. You have your hands in so many different things. This will be the last question. Is there some kind of advice, some kind of quote, some kind of something that like you've used as like a guiding? I don't, I don't want to say guiding principle, but something that's like, you know, encouraged you throughout your life? Yeah, I'd say you got to remain optimistic through, through anything. Um, you know, there's opportunities everywhere. You just have, your eyes have to be just open to them. You know, I think uh, you create your own luck. So, you know, I, I could have probably done a lot of different things. And if, if um, 
but I, I saw these opportunities or, you know, these things were presented and I thought about them and I'm like, yeah, this, this makes sense. And just go with your gut, I'd say. And um, there's, there's no right or wrong as, lo- as long as you just, you know, keep innovating and keep um, moving forward and try to every day I talk to everyone in my office and I'm like, are, are we advancing the ball forward? You know, are we, did we, you know, are we, are we you know, creating real value here for, for, for our investors and for our residents and, you know, just just every day, just working one day at a time on, on building something. And when you look back, it's pretty amazing what, what you'll have built in your in your lives. This could go for personal life, career, et cetera. So just, you know, just keep keep creating. I think um, stay true to yourself, you know, follow your gut. And um, I think that's good advice. And get, get good mentors, you know, just uh, I'd say surround yourself with good people and good mentors. And uh, it's, it's, it's cool. Like everyone here that works for us, you know, I consider sort of like my partners and they, they start everyone every week. I have people coming to me to meet me and I get to cherry pick who I want to work with. So we sort of created positions for people. It's not like we've really gone out to hire except for our CFO. But other than that, I sort of just have created positions for people. And I don't know, I feel like this is my second family being here at, at the office. And uh, it's, I feel pretty blessed. So. Yeah, you are blessed. You're fortunate. This is great. This is a very interesting conversation. Keith, thanks for doing it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening today. Please let me know if you have any thoughts or ideas. Leave me a comment on iTunes or send me an email, alex at wallstreetoasis.com. Thanks.